Jesus, all we ask for this morning is that you do something new in our lives this morning. Something that would set our tongues. Something that would set our feet loose for you. To make others experience the grace that we have found in you. That's our cry this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are all a product of grace. Praise God. Every believer is a product of God's grace. Grace that was packaged in the virtue of love and mercy. The salvation that we enjoy is not an act of any man's work. Praise the Lord. It is not a product of your righteousness. Hallelujah. It is the product of grace lavished upon us by the love of God. Scripture says, for while we were yet sinners, Christ did what? He died for us. He didn't die while we got saved or while we considered to be saved. But while we were still there in sin, His love found us. I don't know where God found you, but I know where He found me. And His grace is all that has preserved us. Hallelujah. So this morning, we are talking about discharging the depth of preaching the gospel to press on. The depth of preaching the gospel to press on. And we know our central theme for the year is pressing towards the mark. If you take a brief history of that scripture, pressing on towards the mark, theologians made us to know that when Paul made this statement, he had spent about 33 years and a half in ministry. Praise God. He had done 33 years of ministry. And he was still crying and saying that I may know him and that I may press on to lay hold. This was a man who by his own apron, men were healed. Miracles were done. Wonders were done. Yet he was still crying and saying, Lord, I want to press on to apprehend that which you have called me for. And so I began to ask myself, what could have made a man whom by virtue of what God has done in his life should be able to say, uh, should be saying as at this time, I need to retire. I need to hand over. I need to take the back seat while others now come on board. But instead of doing that, he was still saying there's something that needed to be apprehended that yet he has not apprehended. And I think that is the foundation of what we are discussing. That is the basis for which Paul made that statement in Romans chapter 1, saying, I'm a debtor. But before we go into that, I want us to look at Second Corinthians chapter 5. You see, God has a program, a divine program that he's running. Second Corinthians chapter 5. I want to start reading from verse 18. 
And all things are of God, who has reconciled us unto himself by Jesus Christ, and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he made him to be seen for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God. Hallelujah. God has a program that is running. You see, the first agenda, or the first thing on God's program was creation. And after the creation was what? The fall of man. And when man fell, God began to process redemption. Praise God. God began to process what? Redemption. The first thing that was done to bring man to the righteousness of God, which failed, was what? Laws and sacrifices. That was how the law came. What was the law going to do? The law was going to make men become the way God had intended that they be. But do you know what the law failed? No one that scripture said that which the law could not do, what did? Grace did. So the law came as God's process to bring man to redemption. Yet, it did not fulfill God's intention. Even the sacrifices of bulls that were made did not fulfill the intention of who? Of God. And so that brought what? Grace. And if you look at that verse, it says grace and what? The death of Christ. Because it is the death of Christ that did what? That brought grace. And so when grace came, redemption was what? Fulfilled. When grace came, redemption was achieved. So Christ by his death got to man, got to the whole world, what? Redemption. And so following redemption, what God is doing now is what? Reconciliation. Praise God. Having achieved what? Redemption. God is doing what? Reconciliation. What is reconciliation? Reconciliation is that we were not in good terms before or something had happened between us before. But now that which is now a barrier between us has been removed. Therefore, come back to me. Praise God. So in the agenda of God, what he is running and what he has been running for the past 2,000 years is reconciliation. Reconciling men back to whom? To himself. Jesus had achieved the grand reconciliation which was to deal with the foundation that was wrong. Praise God. He had dealt with the foundational problem which was the sin of mankind. And so scripture says, when he was living, what did he now do? He now entrusted into us, unto us what? This ministry of what? Reconciliation. That we may do what? Continue in it. And that is the place of man. 
in reconciliation. Where we read, Paul said, God was in Christ. Which means when Jesus was on earth, who was in him? Who was doing the reconciliation? God. So whenever Jesus appeared and spoke about salvation, who was talking? God. So when Jesus was stepping out of the stage, what did he do? He brought us in. So who is now talking? Who is now talking? God is still doing what? Talking. Now, behind me are two personalities. The first personality is who? God. The second personality is who? Jesus. Then you will find me. So when God wants to reach a man, to reconcile a man, what he does is that he passes through Jesus, passes through me, and he reaches out to this man. Praise God. So while I am ministering and discussing salvation of God's grace to this man, I am not the one discussing with him. God is doing what? Discussing with him, but through who? Through me. Praise the Lord. God is reaching this life. I am not the one reaching him. I am only but a vessel, a channel through which God will do what? Get to him. So whenever God says, speak salvation to this man, and I keep quiet, what have I done? Two things. I have shut God up from reaching this man, and I have prevented this man from assessing the reconciliation of God. Praise the Lord. So each time you have a leading to share the gospel, each time you have an opportunity to share the gospel and you shut up or you bottle up, you have succeeded in saying to God, you don't need to express yourself. And you are saying to this person, you don't need to assess the reconciliation of God. And I believe that was the understanding that Paul got and he came to the book of Romans chapter 1, verse 16. And Paul said, For I am, Romans chapter 1, verse 14. He says, I am a debtor, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the wise. So as much is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you at Rome also. It was no longer an understanding of doing it out of convenience. Paul knew that upon him was now what? A responsibility. And he chose to discard that responsibility as a debt. Have you owed someone before? One of the things I know that being a debtor does is that it gives you sleepless nights. Praise God. You know, if you owe somebody... Everything within you will be working towards doing what? Paying the debts. So Paul began to look at ministry or sharing the gospel, not just as anything that he can do anyhow, but as a debt which he must pay. It is no longer a matter of convenience, a matter of um, whenever I want to do it. It's a matter of a debt, I must do what? I must pay. Praise the Lord. The preaching of the word is a debt. The reaching of souls is a debt. And I want to ask you, 
How far have you gone in your payments? Praise the Lord. Paul said, I am a debtor to the Jews. I am a debtor to the Gentile. I am a debtor to the unwise. I am a debtor to the wise. Praise God. So while you are a debtor, how are you going about your payments? Or have you not come to this understanding like Paul, that you are a debtor? Do you think it's still a matter of if I want or if I don't want? Until we come to this point, we will not, will not press on the way God will want us to press on. It was this understanding that made men leave their places. If you read church history, you will realize that some men, some of the white men that brought the gospel to us, died on their way. They left development. They left things that were already done. You know, you know the western world, they are far ahead of us. Yet men saw reason to leave those things to come. Why? Because they knew it was a matter of death. Praise the Lord. So if I must pay this debt, what must happen to me? So that is where God is. God is at number three, reconciliation. He's reconciling everybody back to himself, one after the other. Can I tell you, there's nothing like mass reconciliation. Praise God. God is not doing what? Mass reconciliation. God is taking everybody one by one. He's interested in everybody one by one. And if everybody is going to be reached, then everybody must be what? Involved. Praise God. It is not for a sex. Hallelujah. So God is at the point of reconciliation. After reconciliation, we'll move to the next agenda of God. And then, the final eternity. If you look at eternity, you have eternal life and eternal condemnation. Unfortunately, a lot of people want us to jump to four and five without finishing three. Praise God. God is still at number three. He's still interested in the third one, and he will continue until he decides to move to four. Praise God. So, if I am going to pay my debt, what must I do? What must happen to my heart? The first thing I saw as I looked at the scriptures, and as I asked God what to share with you, the first thing God dropped was that we must know that there is no alternative. Praise God. There is no what? Alternative. If you look at verse 16 of Romans chapter 1, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jews first, and also to the Greek. There is no alternative. What does that mean? It means that the gospel is still the only two that God depends on. To reconcile men back to himself. Praise God. It is still the only what? The only two. Can I shock you? Prophecy is not the two. Can I shock you? Miracle is not what? The two. What is the two? The gospel. Those things accompany the gospel. Can I tell you? Gospel does not confirm signs and wonders. It is signs and wonders that does what? That confirms what? The word. Bible says, and while they shared the word, God did what? Confirmed their words with what? Signs and wonders. 
You know, we live in a generation where men are pursuing signs and wonders as if that is what is going to give us eternal life. What is going to give men eternal life is the gospel of Jesus. Praise the Lord. It is still the very two that God depends on to bring men unto eternity. They are good. Those other components are good. But gospel does not confirm them. They confirm the gospel. They confirm that the word you speak are truth and are what? Life. Hallelujah. What do we mean when we say there is no alternative? It means that there is no replacement to going. Praise God. In Matthew chapter 28 verse 11, Jesus spoke to the disciples and said, Go ye where? Into the world. And make disciples of what? All nations. Can I tell you, that word go there cannot be replaced. Praise God. You see that word go? It cannot be replaced. Nothing can replace it. It is irreplaceable. The only difference is that the extent to which Mr. A will go may be different to the extent to which Mr. B will go. Praise God. Mr. A may just stop at Jerusalem. And that is the field that God has given him to labor in. Mr. B may get to the outermost part of the earth as God gives him those fields. But you know what? The summary is that there must be what? A going. Whether it be in Jerusalem or in the outermost part of the earth, there must be what? A going. Praise the Lord. So, we cannot replace the word go there with anything. Giving may be important. Groaning in prayer may be important. But to go is inevitable. Hallelujah. 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 So, it's important to locate your field and begin to go to those fields. Praise the Lord. So having established that there is no alternative, the second thing that must happen to our heart is that it requires urgency. This debt has to be paid as soon as possible. Praise God. As soon as possible. As quick as possible. Amen. 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 It must be paid as a matter of urgency. The first thing I will need to drop with you this morning is that you don't have eternity to live here. Praise God. In that office where you are, you don't have eternity to dwell there. In that neighborhood where you are, you don't have what? An eternity to do what? To dwell there. In the school where you are, you don't have eternity to do what? To dwell there. It is only for what? A while. And if you understand that you are only there for a while, the question is, how are you quick in making sure that you have paid the debt you are owing in that environment? How quick are you in ensuring that that environment receives your payment as far as the gospel is concerned? You know, Peter was speaking, Paul was speaking to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And in verses 2 and verse 4. Can we just turn to that place? 2 Timothy chapter 4. Let me read from verse 1. 
He says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. He says, preach the word. Be instant in season. Out of season. Rebuke. Rebuke. Exalt with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own loss shall they heap to themselves. Teachers having itching ears. There's no more time to waste. There's no more time to sit on the fence and to contemplate. Should I? Should I not? You have to do it as quick and as possible. Jesus made a statement in John chapter 9 verse 4. He said, I must do the work of He who sent me. When? Now. Now that it is what? Day. For a time cometh when no man shall do what? Walk. A time will come when you may want, you may desire to even go and speak to somebody and you may not have the opportunity again. A time will come when the passion may swell up. But by then it would have been too late. Why not make the opportunity that use of the opportunity that you have now? It must be as a matter of urgency. You know, in John chapter 5, something happened that I want us to look at. Something happened between Jesus and his disciples. John chapter 4. I know a lot of us know that scripture. It's the story of Jesus and the woman by the well. John chapter 4. And I'll read from verse 30 for us. You know, Jesus had, had um, come with his disciples to this point, to the well, to the Jacob's well. And um, he sat there to rest. And while he sat there, he sent his disciples to go and, do, to go and buy food. And so while the disciples went to buy food, he engaged the, the Samaritan woman and began to discuss with him and to discuss with her and to share with her. And before they could come back, something had happened to this woman. Jesus knew that this woman that has come, I must maximize the opportunity I have with her now. Praise God. So, Jesus was waiting for his disciples to get food. Yet, he sees an opportunity and he doesn't allow the opportunity to slip by. So, Jesus engages this woman in discussion. And while he was discussing with her, and in the process, the, the, the disciples came back, and they brought the food they had gone to buy. And they were expecting Jesus to leave the matter of reconciliation to go and eat. And Jesus continued in what he was doing. And Peter said, they began to wonder amongst themselves. Did somebody bring this man food when we were away? We have all been in this thing, walking around here and there, here, doing that, doing that, and we're all hungry. How come that we have now gotten food and then he's still not interested in this food? Why? Jesus knew that this may be the, this woman's last opportunity. If I don't intercept this life now, it's possible that this life may never come to the knowledge of the kingdom. Praise the Lord. And so in verse 30, 
Then they went out of the city and came unto him. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Okay. I have what? Meat to eat that you know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Had any man brought him anything to eat? Verse 34, Jesus said unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Praise God. My meat is what? To do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. That is the primary meat. The other meat is what? Secondary. Whatever we are doing in life to engage our lives meaningfully is only but a secondary meat. The primary meat that God gives to every man is his work. And the work that he has engaged us to do is the work of reconciling men back to himself. Praise the Lord. If you read the hymn in SSNS 789, have you ever taken time to look at that? It says, Must I go and empty handed, toss my Redeemer meat, not one day of service give him, lay no trophy at his feet. Take time and listen again. Must I go when it is time for my departure? Will I go empty-handed? Will I meet my Redeemer empty-handed? Not one day of service. Not one soul to account for. Not no life to say, Lord, this is the product of my service to you. Can you go to the chorus? It says, must I go and empty-handed? Must I meet my Savior soul? Not one soul with which to greet him. Can I tell you, that day when we appear before the Lord, the greetings that we'll be exchanging with the Lord is, Lord, this were the, the product of my service. Paul, was, Paul is going to stand and say, Lord, by my right, far right hand is the efficient church. Far left hand is the Corinthian church. Far right hand is the Roman church. Brother, which church will be accredited to you? Which soul? Will be accredited to you. He says, Must I go empty handed? Stanza 4. He says, All patience arouse. Be earnest. Hope and walk while it is what? Day. And the night of death does what? Overtake you. Strive for souls while yet you may. Strive for souls while yet you may. Because a time will come when you may not be able. Can I tell you that every man is like a product with an expired date attached to him or her? You are like a product with an expiring date attached to you. And the, when the date of your expiration comes, whether you are full or empty, the truth is that you will expire. Whether used or unused. So it is not left for you to determine, am I going to go full or am I going to go empty? Discharged completely 
And like Paul, I will even say, I have fought a good fight, I have run the race, then lied for me a crown of glory. Or that day when you will aspire, will we still find you full of content, yet not discharged? Shall you be found full of content, yet undischarged? I'm sure heaven will say, what a wasted life. May that not be our portion in the name of Jesus. So it must be done with a sense of urgency. The third thing the Lord wants me to share with you this morning is that it must be done with an attitude of a fanatic. Praise the Lord. You know, I know a lot of us don't want us to be associated with that word, fanatism. We don't want to be called religious fanatics. Praise God. Because we often see it as being extreme. But can I tell you that where we are now in this reconciliation process does not necessarily require you to be too gentle. Praise God. I will explain that. It requires an obsession. Praise God. There is what we call, I don't know, Udebunan will know very well. She can explain well. Obsessive compulsive disorder. Praise God. It's a psychiatric issue. But do you know, let me just leave at the word obsession. I'm sure a lot of us know what it means to be obsessed. When they say you are obsessed with something, it's something you cannot do without. You know, I decided to look at the word obsession again and it says, to be a fanatic is to be filled with excessive and single-minded zeal. Excessive and single-minded zeal. Especially for an extreme religious or political cause. It says, a person with an obsessive interest and enthusiasm for a particular activity. An enthusiasm, an obsession, something must come upon you to make you at all times be asking yourself, how do I reach out this gospel? And I saw men in scripture, Paul was one of them, and we'll see it. But before we talk about Paul, let's look at the first Christians in the book of Acts of the Apostles, chapter 5. Acts of the Apostles, chapter 5. And we'll look at verses 40 and 40, 41, 42. You know, at this point, the church had begun this ministry of reconciliation that we're talking about. And the council, the council of the elders, the council of the elders, the Pharisees and Sadducees were busy trying to silence them, trying to make them not to go about with the gospel. And in one of the occasions, they were caught. They were caught and they were taken to the council um, courtroom. And so, they were discussing what do we do with these people. And while they discussed and discussed and discussed, something happened. One of them stood up and spoke to them. 
and he said, he made a suggestion and said, that the best thing we can do for these people is not to cage them. Not to jail them. Because if this thing they are doing is of God, you cannot do what? Do anything to it. He said, I will make a suggestion. Let's flog these people. And let let them go. But my interest is what happened after they were flogged. Verses 40 to 42. And he says, And to him they agreed. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. 41. And the apostles departed from the presence of the council. Doing what? Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And verse 2, Marvus says, and daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and to preach Jesus. It's only a man who is obsessed that will come to this point. A man who is still at the mercy of what people will say can't come here. Praise God. If you are still at the mercy of, maybe they will start looking at me in the office, who can go or Kadinja? Are you the only Christian in this office? Are you the only Christian in this neighborhood? If you must be beaten and yet rejoice and go back, then you must be obsessed with the matter of the kingdom. Then your heart must catch something superior to what anybody will say. Praise the name of the Lord. So we must come to a point where we are obsessed. And let's look at Paul, in this attitude, Acts of the Apostles chapter 26, as we begin to tie up, Acts chapter 26, let's look at verses 24 to 30, Paul was arrested, why was he arrested? The gospel, and so here was Paul standing trial, either for his life to be set free, or for him to remain in chains. And so Paul was brought before Festus and Agrippa. And he was to defend himself. You know, I don't know. Or maybe some of us, or maybe if God hasn't brought us to this point, at this juncture, we'll be looking for the easiest way to escape so that this chain will not hold us anymore, if we were in Paul's position. But in verse 30, Paul said, so they were, they were asking him to talk and he had spoken and spoken and spoken and spoken and has, while he was still standing trials for preaching the word, Paul began to preach the word. Praise God. Why was he standing trial for preaching the word? And while he was still standing trial, he is doing what? Preaching the word. And so, a point came and Agrippa said something that Paul lashed on. Verse 30, verse 24, I mean to say. And as he thus spake for himself, Festus with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. 
Much learning doth make thee mad. He said, you have gone out of your senses. You are mad. And it is only a man who is obsessed that will do this. But he said, Paul said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak for the words of truth and soberness. For the king knoweth of these before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that, nothing of, that none of these things are hidden from him. For this thing was not done in a corner. Salvation was not done in a corner. That was it. He that was that, that, that didn't have sin became sin, so that we may become what the righteousness of God. It was not done in a. It was done in an open place. He hung on the tree openly for every man to see. So Paul said, "This thing was not done in a in a corner." King Agrippa. Believeth thou the apostles, and I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuaded me to be a Christian. You almost persuaded me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me. Paul said, my interest is not just that only you will become a Christian, but everyone that do hear me. It is when we've been obsessed by the gospel that we can come to a point where we say, if we perish, we perish. The most important thing is that the gospel must prevail. Hallelujah. As I summarize, if you've understood, you are owing a debt. Just like Paul. Make up your mind that there is no alternative. Make up your mind that this debt must be paid as a matter of urgency. And make up your mind to be obsessed with this payment. Finally, how would God help us do this effectively? Love. Praise God. Hallelujah. Love. I wouldn't want us to go back to the last stanza of the hymn we sang before the sermon. But I want us to go to Jude chapter 20, Jude verse 22. It is high time you stopped looking at men who are yet unreconciled as men who has no hope or whom the kingdom has lost hope over their lives. Irrespective of how worse a life is, God is still interested in that life. Whether she be a prostitute, he be a womanizer, he be a thief, God is still what? Interested in that life. If Rahab, a prostitute, could make the genealogy of Jesus and become a hero in that story, then any man has hope. If Mary Magdalene, a prostitute, could make the list of women who counted as far as the kingdom is concerned, and Jesus said to her, wherever this gospel is preached, then you shall be made mention of. Then every man, wherever they are, has a hope. So stop writing people off. Stop looking at people and saying, well, as far as this one is concerned, okay, where is the 
every man has a hope as house as the gospel is concerned. You know, something happened in my former place of work. Somebody brought an appeal form to a colleague. And um, initially, before she brought the appeal form card, you know, to sign, and they were doing something, and she brought the appeal form card. Before that time, she, she wasn't so free with him. But because she needed something from him, she became uncomfortably free. And this person he came to me began to look at her again. Almost uh, like this your this your freeness, eh? How come all of a sudden you just became you are just all all, all by me? Hey, hey, don't do this, don't do this. Uh, the guy became confused. I said, Biakene. All this while I've been with you in this place. You've not exhibited this freeness with me. Is it now because of our appeal fund that you are now trying to be free? And you see, that is the attitude majority of us have. We see people who we think are sinners and we look at them with disdain and we look away because we feel, what, what, what is in this one? What is, what is it that this person can offer? What is it that, what is the kebabwa Without knowing that for you to effectively reach him, you need to have expressed love to him or her. For you to effectively convey the gospel to him or her, you need to have expressed love. Enough for the person to know that you even care. That you, you, are, not, you are not condemning him or her because God has not condemned him. Can we look at Jude verse 22 and 23. So we can borrow an attitude there and pray. Jude 22 and 23. It says, And you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy to steal others, but do with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. It didn't say hating their lives. What did it say? Hating the sins that contaminate their life. If there is an attitude you must have towards an unbeliever, somebody who has not yet been reconciled, it's an attitude of love. You must hate the sin and not the life. Praise God. You must hate every sin that he or she exhibits and not what? The life. Because it is only the love that you have for the life that will propel you to go after the life. He says, hate the sin and not the life. The sin that contaminates their lives. Who is it that God has positioned near you for a reconciliation? Have you written him or her off? Have you counted them as people who the kingdom has no space for? Have you looked at them and said, there is no hope? God is still depending on you to reach them by the vehicle of his love that he expresses towards you. Are you here this morning you have not experienced the love of God? I want to announce to you that this reconciliation we are talking about, God is still interested in you. He still wants you in his camp. He has defeated the devil. The devil can't accuse you anymore. 
Your debt has been paid in full. Jesus has paid for salvation. Bow down your heads. Let's pray. Must I go empty handed? Must I meet my Savior's soul? Not a soul with which to greet him. Not a life on my account. Which account will you present before the Lord? Is there any soul in your account since this year? Where in the 11th month of the year, is there any soul? Is the Holy Ghost ministering to you? There's a soul in your account since the beginning of the year. If there is none, have that burden. Ask the Lord to give you the burden, the compassion. Ask the Lord to give you no rest. As you see it, that you cannot go empty. Proverbs 11.30 says, He that winneth souls is wise. Daniel 12.3 says, And those that are wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. And those that turn many to righteousness like stars. Those are what you are pressing onto. How can you press on to heaven? Empty. You will be rewarded. But like somebody who has come barren. Pray that prayer this morning and say, God, I will go. I will go. I will start today. I will start where I am. And I will open my mouth. You will feel it. My life will have an urgency. In Jesus' name we pray.